Greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I just praise God for the beginning of IDC, the first plenary session, remember, yesterday. I'd like to remind all of us that there will be workshops throughout the week, every night. The topics are so relevant, you can choose. And if you missed the plenary yesterday, we will make it available for you. Get in touch with us how you can review what you have missed. Have you ever wished that you can start all over again? Has it ever entered your mind that how you wish you can start afresh? Well, our series is about a new, starting right with God. I have good news for you. Today, we will discuss a very important name of God that will help you start afresh. This very name, once you understand this, will set your life for a new direction. It will recalibrate your entire life. If you ask me, this is probably one of the most important truths you will ever learn, if not the most important truth about God, about Jesus Christ, you will ever hear. So listen to this from beginning to end, because there may be things that you hear and you may not feel comfortable, but it is life-changing. Let's begin. The name I want to introduce to you about God is Adonai. Adonai means what? It's from the word Adon. It simply means master. It means honor. Adonai means Lord. Now, you and I have to realize we all like God to be our creator, all-powerful, omniscient, provider, healer. But many times we fail to understand God is all of the above, but more than that, He is Lord. What does it mean? As owner, God has absolute rights over your life. Everything that you possess, your life, your loved ones, your material blessings, everything you have belongs to the Lord. He is owner. Master, what does it mean? God has supreme authority. He has every right to tell you what to do because he is master. Adon in the Hebrew word is singular. When it is used to describe a human being, it is singular. For example, in Genesis chapter 45, verse 8, it says, this is from Joseph. Joseph is saying, Now therefore it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father of Pharaoh and Lord, Adon of all his household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. What is Joseph saying? I am the Lord over all the land of Egypt. If you study the authority he had, what was his authority? No one can enter Egypt. No one can leave Egypt without his permission. Everything he says goes. That is the meaning of Adon from a human point of view. It can also mean as absolute honor. It is used to describe master and slave relationship. But when the word is used to describe God, it is usually in the plural form, Adonai, Adoni. Why? Many Hebrew scholars says, well, it is plural because it is describing the majesty of God. I submit to you, grammatically, it is not just the majesty of God. There is a hint, the hint of triunity, the trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Adonai literally means lords. It's plural when it is referring to God most of the time. And I'm going to show you later, as we study this word, why it is also referring to none other than Jesus. It appears 300 times in the Old Testament. 
Now, you'll be surprised. The very name of God, Yahweh, is also translated in the Hebrew language as Adonai. Why? Because that name is so sacred that they put the parenthesis there as Adonai so that the rabbis, the scribes, can pronounce it. Adonai, not Yahweh. So Adonai is also referring to God, Yahweh. Why? Because God is so sacred. So they gave him a title. That title is called Adonai, Lord. When it is used to describe God, this is what is meant. The Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord. Notice, Adonai of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Who, is, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. The Bible described God as the Lord of Lords. There are many Lords, but there is only one real Lord, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, none other than God Himself. The first use of the word Adonai referring to God is found in Genesis 15, verses 1 and 2. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, Lord God, Adonai. That's how it is translated. Lord God, Adonai Yahweh. What will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? What do you notice about Adonai in this context? Here are some observations. Number one, for the first time, we are now being introduced to God as Adonai, as lords. Notice, plural, lords, but Lord God what kind of Lord God? He is a good master. He is a good Lord. Why do I say that? Because not all lords are good. But God is amazingly good. Why? Notice, the first command, the first occurrence of the entire Bible about do not fear. Here it is. Do not fear, Abraham. The truth is, all of us are anxious. All of us do worry. I don't know what you're anxious about. I don't even know what you're worried about. But for most of us, it has to do with our health, with our loved ones, with our future. We are insecure. What will happen to our children? Those of you who are single, you are concerned about your career. You may be concerned about your relationship, your love life. Whatever it is, God is saying, I am your Lord. Therefore, do not fear. Do not be anxious. Grammatically, what does it mean? Keep on not becoming afraid. Stop worrying. Stop being anxious. He gives you the reason. What's the reason? Well, I am a shield to you. In other words, God is saying, I will not just protect you. I am your protection. I don't know where you are placing your security. I don't know where you place your confidence. But, God is telling us He is our protection. God is our security. His very presence. In other words, nothing can happen to you without God's approval. That is the kind of master we have. Ever present, almighty, to protect us. Not only that, look at His goodness. Your reward shall be very great. You see, not all master. Not all Lord have to reward his servants, his slaves. But God is amazing. God is saying, I'm not just your Lord. I'm not just your master. I'm a good master. I will reward you. Not just reward you. Your reward will be extremely great. And that's why Abraham responded, Oh Lord Adonai, I have no child. Yet you promise me, if you read that entire chapter, you will see the answer to the concern of Abraham 
is about God. God is saying, don't worry. I will fulfill my promises. As Adonai, as Lord, how should we therefore respond to him? Do you notice the emphasis of this name? It's not just who God is. It's about our relationship with him, how we are to respond. I'd like to share with you to highlight four important applications of knowing that our God is Adonai number one. Surrender. Number two, obedience. Number three, devotion. Number four, anticipation. What do I mean? Look at the acronym, SODA. Do you like to drink soda? Well, S stands for surrender. Because God owns everything. If God owns everything, including your loved ones, including your money, including your possessions, everything that you and I have, the only proper thing to do is to surrender. Why? Because he's the owner. Therefore, if God asks something from you, what will you do? You will be generous because he's the owner. If God takes something away from you, what will you do? You'll be at rest. You'll be at peace. Why? He owns everything. Now you see why Abraham responded in faith. When God asked Abraham, give me your son, your beloved son whom you love. Notice, surrender. Next, obedience. If God is supreme, he has all authority, how should we respond? Well, let me give you an example. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, Isaiah had an encounter with God. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord Adonai sitting on a throne, lofty, exalted, with the train of his robe, filling the temple. Isaiah encountered the Lord of Lords, seated on the throne, the supremacy of his authority, the King of Kings. And when Isaiah heard the discussion of the triunity of God, they were discussing, who will we send? Who will become our missionary? Notice how Isaiah responded in amazing obedience. He volunteered. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Do you notice? Look at the hint of the triunity of God. I heard the voice of Adonai. I heard the voice of the Lord. Plural. Saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Plural. Then I said, here am I, send me. Friends, if God wants you to do something, if God tells you something, how do you respond? Here's the reality. Many times, we reluctantly postpone it. When God asks you, will you forgive somebody? Sometimes you hold grudges. When God asks you, will you go see somebody and ask for forgiveness? What do we do? We postpone this. When God tells us that what you are doing is not right, if he is Lord, how should we respond? Just like Isaiah. Eagerly. Why? Because he is Lord. He has every right to tell us what to do, and we are obligated to follow him. You see, today, a lot of young people do not like the idea that God is Lord. You know why? We like to run our own life. For us, we like to be the master of our life. We don't like to be told what to do. By nature, I like to be independent. I don't like to be told what to do. But the reality is this. I'm always under an authority. And the truth is, the Lord is Adonai. God is our Lord. 
Do you understand? You are accountable to him and you have to listen to him. Surprisingly, amazingly, when the word Adonai was translated into the Greek language around 250 to 300 BC before Christ, the word used was Kyrios. Kyrios in Greek is equivalent to the English word Lord. What is the meaning? Exactly the same. The word Lord in the Greek language implies sovereign power, ownership, absolute authority. In fact, that word was eventually referred to emperors because they deified, they made human beings into gods. And that title was reserved for emperor. But that title was used to describe Jesus 700 times in the New Testament. Kyrios, referring to Jesus. And the word Savior is only 20 times. But when you combine the title of Lord and Savior, it is always Lord first, Kyrios first, and Soter, Savior later. Why? Because God wants us to know Jesus is always Lord but also our Savior. That is why in the days of Jesus, when they want to test whether somebody is a real Christian or not, when they are put on trials, what will the Roman officers do? They will force you to say, Caesar is Lord. And true followers of Jesus will never say, Caesar is Lord. They will only say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is curious. Never Caesar. Look at the Old Testament. In Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, Adon, the word Adonai, that's the root word in the Greek, curious, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, what in the world is this verse Referring to the Lord, Yahweh, says to my Adonai. Who is this referring to? Jesus used this exact verse to refer to himself. You see this in Matthew 22, verses 42 to 44. When Jesus was discussing with the Pharisees as who is the Messiah, they were questioning, who are you? And then Jesus used this verse. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Do you now understand? Jesus is now using the knowledge that is common to all scholars, to all the Jewish people, that someday the Messiah will come. So Jesus said, whose son will the Messiah be? Whose son? Now then they answered, the son of David. So far, so good. Then Jesus said, Then how does David in the Holy Spirit called him Adon? In Greek, curious. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then this is the amazing thing. Jesus said, If David calls him Lord, Adoni, Kyrios. How is he his son? No one was able to offer him a word in answer, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him any more questions. You see, Jesus referred Psalm 110 as a messianic prophecy to himself. Jesus is saying, I am the Adonai of the Old Testament. In fact, the early writers of scriptures, the apostles, use the same passage to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is Adonai. In Acts 2, 34-36, it says, It was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand 
until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord, Kyrios, and Christ, Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. In short, Adonai of the Old Testament is the same Adonai, is the Kyrios of the New Testament Jesus. Jesus is none other than Lord. Do you recall in the beginning why I say this is probably the most important truth you need to learn about God, about Jesus? Why? Because the most important issue in life is really who is your Lord. Once you settle this in your life, who is your Lord, all the others will fall into its proper places. Example, how will you make decisions? If Jesus is your Lord, you will make decisions based on His will. You will have the Bible as your guide. How will you deal with your love life? How do you deal with career? How do you do parenting? If Jesus is Lord, and He is, then it will help you make decisions. It will guide you. But if this is not settled, you will have problems all the time. Why? Because this has not been settled. To show you how important this issue is, I want you to look at the life of Paul. Once upon a time, Paul was headed in the wrong direction. But he had a new beginning. He had a fresh start when he encountered the Lord of his life. What do I mean? When Paul was on his way to Damascus, I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? Curious. And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. Do you notice something? When Paul was on his way to persecute believers, Christians, God took the initiative to appear to Saul, to appear to Paul. And then Paul asked the most important question. Who are you, Lord? That, I submit to you, is the most important question. Because this is reality. All of us have a master. All of us have our lords. The only question is, who is your Lord? For many people, they have not settled this issue. Paul was able to settle that issue once and for all. You know why? When Jesus told him, I am your Lord, you notice Paul responded properly. How did he respond? Paul said, What shall I do, Lord? What shall I do, Master Kyrios? What shall I do? And the Lord said to me, The rest is history. Once you settle that question in your life, Who is your Lord? Then you act accordingly. Do you realize the implications of Jesus as our Lord? You see, the word Lord has a corollary counterpart. The corollary counterpart of Lord is what? Servant, slave. Once you have a curious, you have a doulos. What do I mean? Lord, slaves. In the New Testament, surprisingly, the word slave appears over 124 times. In the Old Testament, the word slave appears over 800 times. But what is surprising is it was not translated as slave. In the New Testament, only a few times do you see the word translated as slave. Why? Why was it not translated as slave? 
when the Greek grammar is so clear, the word doulos will always mean slave. Then I discovered why. Because when the Bible was being translated into the English language in the 16th, 17th century, the connotation of slavery was so negative. So the translator was being careful. So they used the word servant. But the reality is you will not see the power of the contrast between master and our response as slave. What do I mean? When you use the word servant versus the word slave, in the Greek Bible, the word slave is doulos. The word servant is not doulos. There are many other words for servant. But the meaning is not the same. Servant is hired. A slave is owned. A servant has limited freedom. A slave has no rights. A servant can choose your boss. You can choose your work. A slave has no freedom. A servant can resign. You can leave. A slave has no freedom. Your wellness and your future depends on the goodness of the master. So there's a big difference. The early writers of scriptures and the early church fathers understood that Jesus is the Lord. And because Jesus is Lord, they consider themselves as slaves. For example, Paul described himself as a slave of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, if you read James chapter 1, he talks about, I'm slave of Jesus. Peter described himself as slave of Jesus. How do you know Jesus is your Lord? Well, if Jesus is your Lord, are you responding this way to Jesus? Let's review. Have you surrendered your all to Jesus? The soda principle. Are you obeying him? It's called unconditional obedience to Jesus. Are you devoted to Jesus? If you know he's a good Lord, he's a good master, then you can trust him. When you trust him, you will be devoted to him. You will love him. And do you have any anticipation for the promise of Jesus in your life? Is Jesus your Lord? If Jesus is your Lord, you will respond differently. There will be surrender. There will be unconditional obedience. And most important, there will be devotion. Why is this so important? For many of us, we react to surrendering everything to Jesus. Remember, I shared this with you. Our tendency is we all want to be free. We all want our freedom. Let me give you an example. During my younger days, people show that they are not under authority by rebelling. And how do they show their rebellion? They smoke. They drink. They take drugs. Guess what happened? Pretty soon, you become enslaved to cigarette. Pretty soon, you become enslaved to alcohol. Pretty soon, you become enslaved to drugs. What is true freedom? Let me share with you from a biblical perspective. True freedom means you have the power to do what is right. You have the power to say no to sin and say yes to God. That, my friend, is true freedom. The ability and the power and the desire that God gives you to do what is right. You're able to say yes to him and say no to sin. And true freedom comes only when you recognize and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What do I mean? Look at the experience of Paul. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul 
tells us his struggle. Paul said, I do not understand what I am doing. I am not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul is saying, I have a problem. What I like to do, I don't do. What I don't like to do, I do. I am not practicing what I want. I do the very thing I hate. The good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Do you understand? Paul is telling us the experience of many people today. We want to do what we know is right. But we keep failing. And we don't like to do what we know is wrong. But we keep failing. What is the solution? I want to encourage you. You are not alone. This topic of the Lordship of Jesus is so important. It is liberating. It will help you. It will transform your life. Notice, the question asked is this. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Wretched man that I am. You know what? I don't know of a true Christian who has not surrendered everything to the Lordship of Jesus that is happy. If you are a follower of Jesus, but you are not completely surrendered, I guarantee you, you will be miserable. There will be this struggle. That's why Paul says, I am wretched. I feel miserable. Who will set me free? The proof that you are a child of God is your misery. Because the Holy Spirit is inside your heart and the Holy Spirit is telling you what you are doing is wrong. So how do you have victory? Notice the answer. It's not what, it's who. So the answer is Jesus. In Romans chapter 7, verse 25, the answer is this. Thanks be to God through Jesus. Jesus Christ is the answer. In John 8, 34, 36, Jesus tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Notice that word, doulos. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So only Jesus can really set us free. But he will only set you free when you surrender completely to him. And that is why in John chapter 8, prior to verses 34, 36, Jesus tells us, if you continue in my word, if you obey my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And then he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Many years ago, there was a young girl who struggled with the Lordship of Jesus. Perhaps you can identify with this young lady. Emotionally, she was involved. She wanted a relationship with this young man. She went to her counselor, her pastor, and their pastor said, I don't think he's the right man for you. And then the pastor said, I want you to notice this verse. In Acts chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, you have the story of Jesus appearing to Peter. And Jesus telling Peter, Peter, you're hungry, kill and eat. But Peter, because of his tradition, told Jesus, Not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. This encounter happened three times. Every time Jesus tells Peter, Go ahead, kill and eat, Peter said, Not so, Lord, not so. Three times. Acts 10.14 is an oxymoron. Because how can you say not so and then call him Lord? Either he is Lord and you say yes, or he is not Lord. So the pastor told this young lady, either you remove, you X out the word Lord, and then you tell God, not so. 
Or you cancel the word not so and say Lord. You will notice that our Christian life, our Christian walk is progressive. Like Peter. When Peter encountered the Lord, he was growing progressively. There was a time when he tells God himself, when he tells Jesus, not so, Lord, not so. Just like you, just like me. We need to grow in realizing he is Lord. And the Bible tells us at the end of Peter's life, he learned the lesson. Jesus told him, someday, Peter, you will do what you don't like to do. You will go where you may not like to go because you will follow me. And that is so crucial. Not so, Lord. Two options. You either erase not so and focus on Lord or focus on Lord and not not so. Remember the story of that girl I was telling you? Because she finally said not so. She removed not so and she said yes to God. Can I tell you something? Because she followed God, her life was tremendously blessed. Her love life, her relationship was amazingly blessed. Why? Because God is after our best interest. But sometimes you have to say no to what you like. Because what you like may not be the best. But God knows what is best. If you say, Jesus is Lord, then whatever He tells you, whatever He tells us, we obey. That's why this is the most important issue you need to settle. It will impact your decision on where do I go? What do I do with my career? How do I make choices? Once you settle this issue, who is Lord? Until you settle this issue, you will always struggle. I'm reminded of the quotation given by S.M. Swimmer. Unless Jesus is Lord of all, He is not Lord at all. Today, I'd like you to hear a testimony of one of our brothers. His name is June Lanusa. Let's hear his testimony. I was the boss of my business, and I always wanted things under my control. I would get upset when I didn't get what I wanted, and I was used to having my way. I was quite comfortable with my life. Uh, we had a good business, lived in a subdivision. Our kids were going to good schools. We would travel frequently. I thought things were in place, but God had other plans that would radically change my life. Before I continue, let me introduce myself. I'm June Lanusa. I'm married to Nuki. We have three great kids and eight wonderful grandchildren. Our daughter invited us to attend a CCF Bible study about 16 years ago. I was reluctant at first, but to support her, we decided to go. In that Bible study, I met a lot of Christians uh, who truly inspired me. They had uh, joyful, authentic, peaceful lives because of the Bible. I was amazed that the Bible actually worked. I decided that was the kind of life I wanted. So I really plunged into CCF and attended everything. Bible studies, Sunday worship, retreat seminars. We even joined the Holy Land tour. I was getting to know the Lord more. My family life was getting better, but yet I felt something was still missing. When I watched and observed the others in CCF, I was envious of their faith, the peace and the joy that they had. On the other hand, I also saw others in CCF who were much like me, you know. Although they had accepted Jesus, they still lacked patience, gentleness, self-control. My problems still weighed me down to the point of doubting God's love and power. To top it off, our business had several pending tax cases at that time. I thought, when I accepted Jesus, He was going to solve all my problems. It wasn't happening and I was disappointed. We were attending an IDC conference about 10 years ago when the speaker said something that had a lasting impact on me. He said, unless Jesus is Lord of all, He is not Lord at all. Oh, wow, that really hit me. My first reaction was, Lord of all, that's only for pastors. You know? Certainly not for businessmen like me, you know, who want to get ahead. It's impractical. People will only take advantage of you. They will fool you. Besides, Jesus is only for 
spiritual matters. No? Yet, I was intrigued and bothered by the statement. Uh, it made me question my motives on why I had chosen to follow Jesus. Why? Was I really serious about my relationship with Him? Was I in CCF only to join the crowd, to belong? Do I really mean what I say when I call Jesus Lord? Or was I only using Him when I needed Him, when I ran out of options? The challenge was cast and uh, I just couldn't ignore it away. I realized then that my relationship with God was limited and compartmentalized. I had made an agreement with God based on my terms, not on His. So what would happen if I opened up all the rooms of my life to His Lordship? Would I allow God to be the pilot of my life and let Him take me wherever He wanted me to go? It's easy enough to accept Jesus as Savior, but to accept Him as Lord of all? But once I decided, wow, do you remember how it was when you were six years old? No worries, no cares, everything was just a-okay. All of a sudden, my life flowed so smoothly and so easily. I felt the relief that someone who had control had now taken over and was taking care of me. I had surrendered the results of whatever I was pursuing and the unknown future to God's sovereign will, His infinite wisdom, and to His unconditional love. So you might ask, what happened after that? Did my world become perfect? Were all my problems solved? No. But the world's imperfections and my problems were no longer that important. To borrow from a song, for the things of earth have grown strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Have I given up on my responsibilities and just wait for the apple to drop from the tree? Definitely not. I still try to do my best, but the big difference is I have completely surrendered the result to God. What joy and peace I had, felt, I had not felt for a long time. My only regret was, why did I wait so long? And now, am I sinless and completely Christ-like? Not at all. But now my relationship with God is more open, more honest, and I'm, and I'm truly dependent on Him. I have accepted my weakness and my need for Him, and now I can truly let go and let God take care of all my concerns, whatever they may be. I have peace beyond my circumstances. One by one, the idols fell and my soul was being set free as I yielded more and more to Him. So what happened to the tax cases? Making Jesus Lord of all had to include my business. Otherwise, He won't be Lord at all. I really struggled with that. I had to make up my mind that He should be Lord of our company. Business would have to be conducted in a way that would please God, regardless of the consequences. Would you believe it? After I made my decision, God intervened. He sent me a Christian lawyer to a CCF member. Before accepting, he asked me, what would happen if after all the legal action and appeals, the assessment still upheld and the tax due still a big amount? I told him, pay the full amount, but on condition that all payments should be official and properly receipted. When I went home after that meeting, I told my wife, we may have to close the business if we have to pay all the taxes. She readily agreed. We both decided to honor God, even if it meant closing down the business. Well, God must have seen our hearts. One by one, through this Christian lawyer, all the cases were dismissed and we ended up paying only a very affordable amount. Today, we still have that business. Praise God. Before I end, I want to thank my loving wife, Nuki, for her passion for the Lord and for diligently sharing the good news with me and our family. I won't be here today if not for her. Five years ago, we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. For our souvenir, our children surprised us with uh, t-shirts printed with our favorite Bible verses. I want to end by sharing with it because it's a good reminder of who is the Lord of our life. Not just Lord, but Lord of all. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6.33 Praise God. June has been a successful businessman. When he eventually surrendered everything, I like what he said. I'm feeling like a child again. I have so much peace. I have so much rest. It does not mean no more problem, but he is now rested. What about you? Have you recognized Jesus as your Lord? Have you surrendered all? Jesus shows us the importance of understanding what it means that He is Lord. Notice His warning. Not everyone who says to me, 
Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Grammatically, Jesus is saying, there are people who keep on saying, Lord, Lord. You keep on repeating, Jesus is your Lord. You keep talking about it. But Jesus says, uh-uh, not all who keep saying, Jesus is my Lord, will enter heaven. Why? Many, notice the word many, will say to me on that day. Now, this is scary. On judgment day, many will say, on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, cast out demons. In your name, perform many miracles. All kinds of miracles. Healing. Supernatural things. And Jesus will say, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Notice, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Grammatically, the word practice lawlessness simply means you who are living a lifestyle of sin. Brothers and sisters, this message is so important that it burdened my heart to really prepare this talk to all of you. My concern as your pastor and your friend is to make sure that you will understand that the key to genuine salvation is really to understand who Jesus is. The last thing I want to do is to give people a false sense of security, a false sense of understanding that you can go to heaven, you can be saved without really understanding what it means to follow Jesus. What do I mean? What is the true grace of God? This is the grace of God. Notice what it says. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. You see, the Bible tells us we are saved by grace. It is not something you work for. It is not because you earn it. It's by grace. But grace is never alone. Instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, in a godly manner in the present age. In other words, the grace of God will give you the power to do what is right. It will instruct us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, in a godly manner. Notice, the grace of God will not only give us real freedom, freedom from sin, but freedom to do what is right. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. This is the amazing work of the Holy Spirit, the amazing truth of the grace of God. Not only will you learn to shun away from sin, but you will learn to be involved in good deeds. Notice the grammar. Eager, eager for good deeds. That is the amazing truth of once you become a slave of Jesus, he gives you real freedom to do what is right. You see, the brother of Jesus says the same thing. He warns us in the book of James. He says, in the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Notice, James is saying, faith without works is dead. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons believe and shudder. But are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? James is not saying salvation is by good works. James is emphasizing what is true faith. He's talking about dead faith versus real faith. And many people today have counterfeit faith, counterfeit grace. And the Bible says, be careful that your faith is not dead faith. Your faith is not counterfeit. Genuine faith is never alone. Good works will follow. The evidence of genuine faith is changed lives. It's not enough to surrender, to be obedient. It is very important that you understand devotion. Because our Lord 
Adonai is a very good master. He's a very good Lord. Devotion means you love Him. You do things not out of obligation. You do things out of love. It's a response to the goodness of the Lord Jesus, the Lord God, His goodness. What do I mean? You see, Paul understood that once upon a time, he was enslaved to sin. He could not be set free. Then Paul experienced freedom in Christ. What did Jesus do to secure his freedom? 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Look at how he responded. What do we mean by devotion? Do you not know that your body, notice our body, our very physical life, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Notice what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, the body that we have is not only the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus Christ paid with his dear life. You have been bought, you have been bought for a price. It is so important that you know that Jesus Christ gave his very life. He shed his precious blood for you and for me, that we will be set free from slavery to sin, from the penalty of sin. He gave his life so that you and I will experience real freedom. And because of that freedom, you are now free to glorify God in your body. In the past, you obey because of obligation. Master, slave, Lord, servant. Today, you need to understand, I obey, I serve out of devotion because He is devoted to us. This truth about the kind of Lord we have and how we will respond will really give your life a new direction. It is now honoring God, glorifying God. Somebody once said, God owns us as master, double. First, He made us. God owns us by virtue of creation. Then He owns us again by virtue of purchase. He gave us His life to buy us. So God owns us doubly by creation and by redemption. He paid the price. You owe everything. I owe everything to the Lord. He is a good master. Do you love him? Do you consider him as a good master and therefore you serve him with eagerness? Are you and I devoted to our Lord? Do you have utmost loyalty to him? Is he your highest priority? Totally devoted. You love him. Your main goal in life is to please Him. Why? Because He is Lord. That's why it is important to understand the implications of knowing the Lord. John tells us in John 15, Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. This is the amazing thing about Jesus, our Lord. He not only gave his life for us, he set us free, and more than that, he now calls us his friends. He not only calls us his friends, he also tells us we are now the adopted child of God. In other words, being a slave of Jesus has amazing, tremendous blessing. The blessing of true freedom. 
not just the blessing of true freedom, also the blessing of becoming a friend of Jesus, a child of God. It does not mean Jesus ceases to be Lord. Our obedience to him continues, except he's saying, I'm not just your Lord. Yes, forever he is our Lord, he's our master. And yet he's now telling us, you are also my friend. You're my brother. Friends, knowing Jesus as our Lord is so liberating. Adonai, Jesus is our Lord. How do you respond? Complete surrender. Obedience. Unconditional obedience. Joyful obedience. Devotion. There is this amazing love from the heart. You obey not out of obligation, not out of duty. More than that, it's out of devotion, out of love. And lastly, you serve Him because of this amazing anticipation. What do we mean by anticipation? The truth is this. Any earthly master can expect our devotion, our service, but they don't have to reward us. But the truth is this. God, Jesus, is an amazing master. He promised to reward us, especially to those who are faithful, especially to those who love him. Do you know what are the promises of God to those who are faithful to him, to those who are eager to serve him? How should this anticipation impact the way you and I respond to him? Notice the Apostle Paul, the product of God's grace, the product of God's devotion. He became so devoted to the Lord, and this is what he tells us. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, referring to followers of Jesus, be firm, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, Kyrios, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you notice the motivation? The motivation is this. The work that you do for the Lord is not in vain. The word vain meaning it is not wasted. It is not like empty air. The truth is this. Many of you, many of us, will someday get the shock of our lives. Why? As we stand before God, there is nothing eternal, nothing of eternal values. Why? You may not realize this. Everything you do for yourself, the amount of money you have, no matter how prestigious you are, all your material possessions, they are nothing. Someday, I was talking to somebody just this morning. What is the difference between a rich man dying and a poor man dying? Do you know the answer? The price of the funeral service and the price of the casket. Other than that, everything is the same. The rich man cannot bring anything with him. The poor man cannot bring anything with him. Someday when you stand before God, I hope it will not be a life of uselessness. Why? Because you have been serving yourself. You are the Lord of your own life. But Paul is saying, if you serve God as Lord, your life will never be in vain. Notice, you must know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So my question to you is this. Are you serving our Lord and Master based on His agenda, based on His mission, and based on His will? And if you understand our labor is never in vain, what will happen to you? Well, number one, you will be firm, stable, immovable. Notice, always excelling in the work of the Lord. Consistency, faithfulness. Why? Because you anticipate the eternal future. The truth is, you cannot serve two masters. The truth is you are always serving something or someone. Think about it. 
without exception, you are either serving your stuff, which can be a very cruel master. When you begin to serve your passion, when you begin to serve yourself, it will lead to enslavery. Or you can be serving things, money, possessions, prestige. But you are always serving something or someone. And Jesus tells us clearly, you cannot serve two masters. And that's why I encourage you to make a choice. You need to make a choice today. Who will really be the master of your life, the Lord of your life? I'm not asking you to make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. Whether you like it or not, He is Lord. I'm only asking you, are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to recognize Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And that, my friend, is another definition of evangelism. You know what is evangelism? Telling them the good news, that Jesus is Lord and that they are to surrender their lives to Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm asking you today, have you made that decision to surrender, to recognize Him as your Lord? I'm asking you to stop playing games. Stop deceiving yourself. Stop playing religion. Be a real follower of Jesus. In fact, he gives you an invitation. The Bible tells us, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, as curious, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you notice the promise of God? Salvation. You will be saved. Condition. Confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. Are you willing to declare publicly by your life that He is Lord? The question is, is Jesus your Lord today or not? The Bible tells us one day the entire world, the entire universe will know that Jesus is Lord. The Bible is very, very clear that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In other words, the entire creation, the entire universe, those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and those who are under the earth. No exemption. Everyone, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, today is when you make that choice because someday you have no choice. Every knee will bow. The question is, is he your Lord today? If he's not your Lord today, someday you have no choice. You'll be forced to confess that he is Lord, but that will be too late. I pray that you make a wise choice, a choice where you will say, Lord Jesus, I've been running my own life. I've been the boss of my life for many years. Today, I will surrender my all. I will confess you today. You'll be my Lord. You'll be my Savior. Do you notice? I'm not asking you to make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. I'm asking you to surrender to His Lordship. Your life will show whether He's your Lord or not. You cannot fake this because God knows. I may not know. Your friends may not know. But God knows and you know. My prayer is that you will make this a reality. Because Jesus is Lord. Then you confess Him. Declare Him as your Lord. I'm going to say a short prayer so that you will be given the opportunity to ask Jesus to really become your personal Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to stop playing games with you. Today I realize you are indeed our Lord. 
I want to recognize you as my personal Lord and Savior. I invite you today, Lord Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Be the master of my life. I surrender all. Thank you for your promise that if we confess you as our Lord and our Savior, you promise us salvation. You promise us eternal life. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. If this has been a blessing to you, kindly click on the space provided below. We would love to chat with you. In a short while, we will have fast track. We will have discussion questions. And I hope you will discuss these questions with your family.